You're listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. series on Hebrews 11, I kind of joked at first service is that I'm sure some of you kind of feel like this is a series that just never ends. And in some ways, it, it, faith is one of those characteristics um, that God wants to instill in our lives that really doesn't end. And so there are so many stories, uh, and we're kind of focusing on those uh, particular stories of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But I mean, stories of faith in men and women's lives, they're always new and unfolding. So it really is a series. It's a characteristic that really um, never ends. So far, we've looked at kind of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua. And last time we were together, we looked at the life of Rahab. So I want to pick up in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 32. And here the writer says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all of the prophets. Let me just kind of pause there. And part of the reason what was really attractive to me about this particular series was there's a lot of stories in the Bible that maybe, you know, if you're my age or older, I mean, we kind of grew up in church. We've heard these stories. We know these characters. um, And there are generations that are kind of coming up behind us that really don't know these stories. And so one of the things the you know, author is kind of pointing out here is, you know, while it would take too long to kind of recount all of the stories of faith, all of these stories are so important to know and to remember and to learn from. And it's really why I've taken the time to really kind of just go character by character and really beginning to look at what was it about these men and women that made their faith stand out. And the one thing I've really tried to just emphasize over and over again, these are ordinary men and women. These are not super saints. These are not people that were just, you know, kind of in a group that, you know, God kind of saw as special and unique and he was committed to using them. These are people that were just ordinary men and women who had shortcomings, mistakes, failures uh, in their lives, but they were just people that were available. They were open. They were surrendered to God. It simply said, God, here I am. If you can use me, use me. And so that's why these stories are so important. He goes on to say, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped by the edge of the sword. Now, when you kind of look through that list of things there, uh, um, I was just kind of really struck by as I was studying this out. You know, sometimes, oftentimes, when we kind of think about faith, oftentimes we're kind of thinking like, oh, God, I- I'm just going to have faith, God, that I'm going to get this next job, that I'm going to get this raise, or God, I'm just going to have faith that, that I'm going to get this house or this car. And, and oftentimes our, our faith, and, and those, are, those are all great things and fine things to have faith for, but the problem for a lot of us is, that's the ceiling. That's as high as we go. That's as far as we'll go sometimes when it comes to faith. It really is faith about things that concern me. As you look through this list, that's not to be found in here. 
I mean, these were people that had faith for huge things. I mean, you look at this. I mean, these people overthrew kingdoms. I mean, man, that, that, is, that is huge. That is, you're a world changer when you're overthrowing kingdoms. And that's the kind of faith that I believe God really is calling us to. God wants us to have faith in him that we can truly go out there and be world changers, that we could be city changers, that we could be cultural changers uh, in, in a positive way. We need those so desperately in our culture right now. And so oftentimes, again, our, our faith in God or what God is calling us to do, it's kind of just got this ceiling, and it doesn't go very high when you begin to compare it with some of the, uh, the, the faith feats that these men and women did. And again, they're ordinary men and women. Look at this. It says their weakness was turned to strength. That, they're weak. They're, these are not powerful people. It says, God took their weakness and transformed it into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Today's faith character is someone whose weakness was turned to strength. Today we're going to talk about somebody who was maybe kind of one of those people like that video talked about, Lord, I need you, because he had and was called to do something that he did not have the strength, the power to do on his own. And he came to understand, God, if this is ever going to happen, it's because you're in it. The last time we left off, remember Joshua was leading the nation of Israel. Moses had died. And um, he is leading the nation um, and they cross over from the wilderness. They kind of come into the uh, nation of Canaan. And you remember the first city that they encounter is the city of Jericho. And under Joshua's leadership, the nation of Israel kind of, you know, overcame uh, Jericho. Remember the walls kind of just crumbled. The nation of Israel was able to get into the city. They were able to kind of conquer that. And so just under Joshua's leadership, the nation of Israel, they kind of just go city by city by city throughout Canaan, and they're just conquering each of these uh, cities throughout Canaan. Now, one of the reasons Canaan was really, as a nation, was so difficult to defeat was because each city had to be defeated individually. There was no king, no president, no single ruler who could just surrender the entire country into the hands of the Israelites, and so they had to just go in and defeat these cities one by one. Now, interestingly, the greatest threat... Canaan posed to the nation of Israel was not their military strength. They were a strong military power. It was really the Canaanites' religion and really their cultural rot that posed the greatest threat to Israel. Because Canaan was, they were so well known for their cruelty in war. I mean, these were probably the original ISIS group. I mean, they were, they were profoundly cruel people uh, in warfare. They were sexually immoral, they were selfish and greedy, and they were very, very materialistic. So everything that Canaan stood for and represented was really the exact opposite uh, of how God was calling the nation of Israel um, to be. And so oftentimes when Israel would get around nations like this, rather than allowing 
Israel to transform the evil cultures, oftentimes what you find is the evil cultures often did more transforming of the nation of Israel into their ways, into their ways of thinking. And so Joshua led the great nation of Israel and they kind of go into Canaan and they just begin to conquer all of these evil uh, pagan nations. And in addition to that, Joshua also kind of really keeps the nation of Israel, he, he keeps their eyes uh, fixed and focused on their relationship uh, with God. So Joshua is kind of one of these men. He is, he is just an incredible military leader. And in addition to that, he is just an exemplary spiritual leader. And those two things uh, in tandem together, Joshua is able to lead the nation of Israel uh, through some great feats, and God really blesses them. So in Judges chapter 2, verse 8, we pick it up there, and it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. After that generation, now get this, after that generation, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Again, this is the whole point of the series. If we forget these stories, if we don't learn from the history, the mistakes, the failures, uh, the achievements uh, of other nations and other times, we're just doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over. And you're gonna see how that happened to the nation of Israel as we kind of go through this this morning. And again, scriptures like this, they always prove we are one generation away from atheism. I mean, we, we're one always, every generation is one generation away from unbelief in God, because all it took for what was for one generation, again, to spiral into pagan worship, sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, and all other kinds of sin that the Canaanites uh, were committing. And so from Josh, Judges 2.8, we find the results of this beginning in verse 11. So the Israelites, the nation of Israel, continued to do evil in the sight of the Lord and served or worshiped the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal, and the images of Ashroth, and this made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. And so often how God would deal or he would punish or discipline the nation of Israel was he would just hand them over uh, to their enemies. And so it says he handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist or to fight against them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, not their enemies. The Lord fought against the nation of Israel, causing them to be defeated just as he warned, and the people were in great distress. So the Lord raised up judges. This is where the book of Judges kind of comes from. The Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who walked in obedience to the Lord's command. Man, we see that in our culture today, don't we? 
I mean, we're actually having discussions about whether men should use women's restrooms and women should use men's restrooms. We're actually having discussions on that. We're actually debating whether that's a good or bad thing, whether that's right or wrong. I mean, this is what happens when we just begin to abandon the, the, the faith of our ancestors, when we kind of begin to walk away from God's commands and we just say, you know what, we know better. We know how to be more sensitive, whatever, however you want to doctor that statement. I cannot believe that we are in a day and age where we are having that kind of a discussion. So it goes on to say, again, how quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I have made with their ancestors, and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. So while he conquered many cities and, and enemies, there were a lot of other unconquered enemies in there that posed a threat to Israel. And so God kind of just left some nations in there because remember, how does God want to discipline? How does he want to correct the nation of Israel? Through their enemies. And so God left some of those cities unconquered. And so he said, I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. And so as you kind of just read through the book of Judges, what you begin to discover is this is kind of just a cyclical, it is a reoccurring problem. So the first judge that God appoints is a man by the name of Othniel, and he rescues the nation of Israel from a man named uh, Aram, whom they had been enslaved to for eight years. So they've been oppressed, they've been under slavery to uh, another uh, enemy named Aram, and, and again, following Israel's victory over Aram through Othniel's leadership, it says in Judges 3.11 that there was peace in the land of Israel for 40 years. After that 40 years, Othniel dies. And so Judges chapter 3, verse 12, it says right after his death, what happens is once again the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of Israel's evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies and then he went out and defeated Israel taking possession of Jericho. Remember Jericho? Yeah, the city that they first took possession of. They lost that there. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. So you, you kind of see under Othniel, you know, they're, they're in for eight. He kind of rescues them. They go back into sin after Othniel dies. And, and now they're under oppression again. 
And this happens for 18 years. So once again, what does the nation of Israel do? God, help us. We're sorry. Help us. Rescue us. Deliver us. And so God would raise up the second judge named Ahud. And he, through the help of God, once again delivers the nation of Israel from their enemies. And the scripture says there was peace in the land for 80 years. Um, And then... Uh, Ehud dies. Anybody care to just take a stab at what comes next after Ehud dies? After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the sight of the Lord. See, if you don't know history, you're just doomed, or you don't learn from history, you're just doomed to repeat it, and that's what they're doing here. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazar, the Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth, Hagamai. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly opposed the Israelites for 20 years. So they're under oppression now again for 20 years. Then what do the people of Israel do? Lord, help us, rescue us, deliver us. And so you just kind of start seeing a pattern forming here. Third judge that God raises up was a woman named Deborah. And through Deborah's faith and her just military prowess, I mean, she is, she is a very, very strong military commander. She leads the nation of Israel to defeat the Canaanite king Jabin. And then the nation of Israel lives in peace for another 40 years But Deborah uh, comes to that place like all the other judges where she dies. Judges 6 beginning in verse 1. The Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So he handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now he says the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, thieves from Midian Um, Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. I mean, they would just go in and destroy their crops. They would either destroy them by eating them or just burning them. And so again, it just left Israel with nothing to eat. They would take all of their sheep, goats, and donkeys. It says these enemy hordes coming in with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camel, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was just stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and what do they do? They call out to the Lord for help. God, help us, deliver us. And that brings us to kind of today's character. So that's kind of how we get to Um, Gideon, because he is the one that God raises up this time to deliver the nation of Israel from their latest captivity. So continuing in verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. How many of you know you don't thresh wheat in a wine press? What do you do in a wine press? You press wine, right? But it says Gideon's in the wine press, and he's threshing wheat there to hide the grain from the Midianites because he knows if they see him out there threshing grain, they're going to come and confiscate his grain. So he's hiding out in a wine press trying to thresh the grain for himself. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, mighty hero. Some of your translations may say mighty warrior. 
the Lord is with you. Now, what is interesting in this is that God sees this characteristic in Gideon that Gideon himself does not seem to see or acknowledge. God sees in Gideon kind of this hero, this warrior characteristic, and God just kind of begins to identify that, and he kind of just begins to call that out in Gideon. And, and the same thing is true of you. God sees potential in every one of you in this room this morning. God sees destinies. I mean, I mean, just beautiful, incredible, awesome destinies of ways that God wants to use you to uh, impact, uh, to be a world changer, to be a city changer, to be a cultural uh, changer. And God sees potential in every one of us in this room. And oftentimes, when we just get alone with God and just allow God to begin to speak to us. These are the things that God will begin to identify and to begin to call out um, in us. Again, oftentimes we kind of run or, or, or we don't want to get alone with God because we're afraid, man, if God ever gets me alone, it, it, he's just going to unload on me. I mean, he's just going to identify my every sin, my every weakness, my every fault, my every failure. And that's just not true. Oftentimes what God wants to identify and affirm in you is your potential in him, in connection with him. And that's what he does with Gideon. I mean, Gideon's hiding out. He's fearful. But God doesn't pick on him for that. God simply says, hey, I see something in you that is so incredible, something that together I can use you in great and mighty ways. So the angel of the Lord takes this opportunity to affirm this very powerful characteristic in Gideon, and he helps Gideon to see himself. Now, how does Gideon respond? Look at Gideon's response here. Sir, Gideon responds. I don't know if there was kind of like just this sarcasm with this, but he says, if the Lord is with us, and it's obvious he's not, because if he was, we wouldn't be where we are. So he says, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Ever feel like that? Sometimes you just kind of wonder, man, God, you know, you say you're with us, but man, if you're with us, God, why is this happening to me? He says, where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. So what, what's, where's his faith right now? I mean, there's not a lot there to work with. He kind of just says, hey, God, you've abandoned us. You've left us. You've handed us over to our enemies. But I love what God says. God doesn't argue with him. God doesn't nitpick. God just simply says to him, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon said, how can I be a world changer? How can I rescue Israel? My clan, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, my clan, my tribe in, is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord says to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now remember throughout this series we've been talking about, this is why he's in chapter 11, because of his faith. So what 
Gideon hears here is this is the promise of God that he gives him. He says, I'm going to be with you, promise one. And you are going to defeat the Midianites as if you are fighting against one man. That's the second promise that God gives to him. And so here you have these promises of God are given to Gideon, and he now has the opportunity to respond in faith. Remember Hebrews or Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so for you and I to have faith, it, we have to be responding to something. Faith is not idle, okay? Faith is only active, it's only working when it's responding to in obedience or in a positive way to a command, a word, or a promise that God has given us. And so God gives these two promises to Gideon, and now Gideon has this opportunity, okay, here's these promises of God, what am I going to do with them? And that's where he has this opportunity for his faith now to become active. I've got the promises. Now I just need to respond um, in faith. It's also interesting that Gideon kind of sees himself as this kind of weak, unqualified person. To, to, there's just no way I could ever undertake a task like this. And, and you notice he kind of responds by saying, look, we are the weakest tribe, okay, in all of the 12 tribes, and our clan in the tribe of Manasseh, we are the, we're the weakest of, of that whole clan, and, and then on top of that, in my family, I am the least of anyone in my family. So Gideon kind of tells God, I'm kind of the least of the least of the least. I mean, it, it can't get much worse than that. And this is exactly why God probably chooses Gideon. Oftentimes, we again, we kind of operate under this mindset that, oh, God only uses the powerful. God only uses the rich. God only uses the wise, the powerful, people that are self-confident. Those are the people that God uses. And again, when, when quite often, it's, it is the exact opposite. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27. He says, instead, God chooses things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And God chooses things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. See, we have it the exact opposite. It says God chooses things despised by the world, things that are counted as nothing at all, and uses them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Now, why does God do that? Paul says so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God purposely uses the foolish, the weak things, the weak people, in order so that when God comes and does great and mighty things, we're not going to be tempted to say, oh, I did that on my own. I did that in my own strength and power, because we see ourselves as weak, as foolish. And that's exactly why I believe God chooses Gideon. So that when Gideon delivers the Israelites, no one, including Gideon, could take credit for it. They would know that they only prevailed because of the mighty hand of God. So again, you may be here this morning. You may feel like you are the weakest, 
the least important, the most unqualified. You may sit there and you may just and be in affirmation with Gideon. I am the least of the least of the least. And that is the exact time and you're probably the exact person. Those are probably the exact qualifications that God is looking for in someone so that you won't have any room to boast in your own power or your own ability. I love how in verse 14, look what God encourages Gideon. He says, man, go with the strength you already have. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you strength. He says, man, start with what you've got. Go with what's already inside of you. Go with what you have. And then there's a lesson in that for us. Sometimes we just need to go with what we've got instead of holding back and waiting because of what we don't have. I remember when we first started Praise Community Church back in 2003. We did not have anything to start this church. I mean, there we didn't have any money. We didn't have any property, right, Steve? No buildings, no possessions, no equipment. Steve was part of the 13 families that started this church. I mean, I think it's true to say proverbially, you guys didn't have a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of. You had nothing. They had absolutely nothing to start this church. But what they did was they each one night met and they all took a piece of paper and they were asked to write down, just write down an amount of money you are willing to commit to giving over the next year to get this church started. And that's what they did. It wasn't so much what they had already, it's what they were willing to give and so, again, just as God told Gideon, use what you had. Sometimes we just need to use the resources God's already given us. And as we just are faithful in using that, you know what? God will, God will multiply that. He'll increase that as needed. So Gideon has this promise from God. What is the promise from God? I'm going to be with you, and I am going to use you to defeat the Midianite army, and it is, and again, I'll get into a little bit more about the Midianite army next week, but this army is so powerful, but God says, you know what, because I use the foolish to shame the wise, I use the, the weak to, to overcome the powerful, Gideon, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to use you, and it's going to seem as if you are just fighting against one man instead of an entire um, army. So, because of his fears, again, he's in a wine press threshing grain. He's got a lot of insecurities. He's got apprehensions, I'm sure. He says to God, God, would you just give me a sign that, that you are really going to use me uh, to deliver uh, this nation of Israel? So in Judges 6, beginning in 36, then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, he said, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out, it says, a whole bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, now don't be angry with me, he says, but... Let me just make one more request. He's kind of like, I just want to make sure that, that this is really what you're doing. He said, let's use the fleece one more time. He said, this time, let the fleece remain dry 
while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Now, as you read this, I mean, the question is, is this how we're supposed to discern God's will, God's direction, God's heart for our lives by by putting out fleeces or variations of that? I I know Christians who, who have tried this. They'll set up some kind of test for God, and they'll say, God, if this happens, and they'll kind of list out what they want God to do. You know, if, if you want me to do this, God, would you, you, you know, turn on a light, or would you cause it to snow in July, or something like that? So I've heard people that will put out kind of fleeces or variations of that, and I just don't believe that fleeces are really a good way for us to learn or to continue in how to discern God's will. And although God honored uh, Gideon's fleece, that test there, there's really no other place in Scripture where we are encouraged or a fleece uh, is used like this to discern God's will. On the other hand, since you know God honored it, he used it with Gideon, it might be at certain times God may allow us to kind of put out a fleece, a variation of a fleece. So I, I kind of want to just point out a few lessons that I think are important to learn if you're going to do this. First, Gideon was sincerely trying to learn what it was God wanted him to do, okay? This is not a half-hearted measure, okay? Uh, he's not just kind of somewhat curious. I mean, he is very, very sincere in really trying to understand and ascertain what is God's will in this particular matter. Because He's about to go to battle, okay? He is going against a very, very fierce army. I mean, there are lives at stake here. So this is, this is not just some, you know, kind of lighthearted incident, you know, that won't have any kind of, you know, ramifications. I mean, this is going to have huge consequences. I mean, they're going to go into battle. There's going to be warfare, bloodshed. There is going to be death. So he wanted to make sure that he's hearing and understanding God's heart and that he's not just kind of getting carried away with his own ego or he's kind of duping himself into thinking he's a greater individual than he really was. And again, he's coming at this with a great deal of sincerity. There is a great deal of humility in this. And I think it is Gideon's humility that God really is responding to here. So again, if you're going to put out a fleece or a variation of that, make sure that you are being led by a very similar humility. Secondly, by the time Gideon put out this fleece, Gideon's already got a reputation and he's got a track record of obeying God. Now Gideon, if you uh, back up in the story there, you'll find that, that Gideon had been commanded by God one night to go out into his village in the middle of the night while everybody else is sleeping and tear down the altars of Baal. There was a pole to Ashtaroth, so he kind of destroyed that. So the men of the village wake up the next morning, and all of their altars, everything is destroyed. And they are just angry and find out Gideon did it and they want to kill uh, Gideon. But uh, his father intervenes um, and and so again, he's already got a track record uh, of obeying God in very, very difficult uh, circumstances. So if you put out a fleece or, or a variation of that, make sure you've got a similar record of obedience toward God in your life. For example, 
It's not going to do you any good to put a fleece out to, uh, to ask God about choices you should never be making uh, in the first place. A story uh, I'd heard one time about a pastor um, who was talking with a, a man who had cheated on his wife. And the man said that he and this uh, other woman were together in a hotel room, and they had kind of put out this, this is a variation of a fleece. And what they said was they said, we, we prayed, and they just said, Lord, if you don't want us to be together, if you don't want us you know, to, to be sexually involved, that God, would you just send somebody to knock on our hotel room by 8.30 p.m.? Okay, so you should never question God's will about matters where God's word has already made it abundantly clear. Many years, John Wesley said this. He said, give no place to heated imaginations. Do not easily suppose dreams, voices, impressions, or visions, or revelations to be from God. They may be from him. They may be from the self. They may be from the devil. And he says, try all things by the written word and let all all things bow down before him. That is good advice. Thirdly, don't assume every open door. And open doors, again, that is a variation on this whole theme of fleeces. So don't assume that every open door is the one that God wants you to go through. I hear this all the time. Um, Open doors do not always mean God has opened them. So just because you get a new job offer, I mean, people say, oh, I got a new job offer. That must be God. And so they take the new job offer, and it's a disaster. I, I've heard of people, you know, that they'll say, oh, that I had just this chance meeting in the supermarket. There was this woman and I, we grabbed for the same chuck roast at the same time, and we just assumed that meant God wanted us to be together forever. These are variations of those fleeces. Uh, so don't just assume assume that because you get accepted into some new program, that that means that, you know, this is God's choice for your career. Pastor Eugene Harder of New Hope Community Church tells his people, when they see an open door, you better look and see whose who's, uh, hand is on the knob. Uh, God isn't the only one who opens doors, and not every open door is the door we should just automatically walk through. How do you know whose hand is on the doorknob? Again, that comes from really being in a close, intimate relationship with God. Fleeces do not work well, if at all, if your walk with God hasn't been consistent. Guidance is, first of all, a relationship with the guide. As I stated earlier, it's really interesting, we're kind of, we're, we're, uh, I'll, I'll save that for next week. We're kind of running out on time. I just want to just uh, invite the worship team to come back up. Just invite you all just to stand this morning. Grab a Kleenex here. It's always really interesting when uh, we do first service and I get to go down and praise cafe and then I get to kind of hear how people are kind of processing, how God's kind of using um, the sermon, you know, to speak in their lives. And so it's just been really interesting. Uh, uh, one of the things I really challenged people with is that I, I just really believe that there are, 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 
our people here this morning, I just feel like God has positioned you um, into a place where, where God wants to use you as a world changer, that God really wants to use you in ways that would impact this city. God wants to use you in ways that would really impact this culture uh, in a godly way. And if you just look around at our culture today, you, you'll see how desperately we really do need world changers, uh, city changers, and cultural changers. But again, I feel like sometimes the, the two biggest things that a lot of times hinder us is just fear and then just a sense of inadequacy. I'm, I'm, I'm weak. I'm the least of the least. I'm unqualified. I'm uneducated. I'm poor. I'm, I mean, whatever you're hiding behind. And again, oftentimes, those are the qualifications that God's looking for in a person. Because, you know, the scripture says it, it's in your weakness, God says, that my power is perfected. And so oftentimes it's just when we come to God with that brokenness, we just come to God in that weakness, we just kind of come to God in, in, in that uh, place where, where we're, we're just not uh, very confident. Um, and, and God says, that's all right, I'm, I'm going to be with you and I'm gonna use you. And that's essentially what he said to Gideon. I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna use you to conquer the enemy. And so I just want to just pray for you this morning because I, I do believe there are people here this morning that God is speaking to you. And, and again, maybe you kind of got this ceiling over your faith right now. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I trust God for my car. I trust God for my house. I trust God for my job. And you know what? I think God this morning wants to raise that ceiling exponentially. Because I think God has some, uh, some faith exploits for some of you this morning that just kind of go beyond anything you've experienced at this point. I think there are people here that God wants to use, again, that are just going to overthrow kingdoms, uh, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. Uh, that's the kind of stuff I think that God is looking for people for today. And so I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that you'll hear God's voice uh, in this, and that whatever obstacle, whatever barriers you feel like maybe you're kind of putting up against that, like Gideon did, I'm the least of the least, um, you know, who am I? Uh, again, I just want you to be able to just begin to tear down those altars that you've built. Uh, get rid of those idols um, that you're kind of allowing to, 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 for, to hold you back and to hold you down from what God's calling you uh, to do. And so I was going to pray for you this morning. A number of people, uh, first service, that, that just really felt like, yeah, man, I just, I just have been fighting God on this. And, and again, the, the final thing is just, I just want to encourage you, go with what you've got this morning. Don't wait for God to, you know, give you everything you think you need to do what he's calling you to do. Go with what you've got. And as you just begin to take that step of faith, God's just going to begin to increase and add to it uh, as you need it. Amen? Father, we just thank you this morning. And God, I, as there were many in first service, God, that just kind of saw Gideon in themselves. Father, I just pray, Lord, that if there are those here this morning that you're just speaking to, God, you're really, you're really calling them uh, to, to great things. God, you're right now, you're just even speaking uh, and affirming their destiny. That God, you're maybe even speaking to people today and you're saying to them, you great hero, you great warrior, you great man, you great woman of faith. And so Father, this morning, I just pray God as you just begin to just speak to the hearts, to the spirits of the men and women here, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just begin to identify 
some things that maybe they don't see in themselves, God, that you see, those things that, that make them valuable and precious to you, that, God, maybe you would just affirm their destiny in you this morning. And, God, I pray, Lord, as we just, again, as we hear your voice, God, as we're reminded of your promises, as your destiny is just being affirmed over us this morning, that, God, we would not respond in fear that, God, we would not respond with any sense of inadequacy. But, God, we would just come to that place where we would simply say, God, I hear your voice. I hear your promises for me. And, God, I just surrender. I just say, God, here am I. Use me. And, Father, this morning I also pray, God, that you would just allow us to go with the strength, the resources, the abilities, the skills that we already have have. God, I pray that these would not be things that would hold us back, but God, that they would be things that would set us free, that would again just instill boldness in us to say, God, you've given this to me. I am going to use it. I'm going to be a good steward of this gift, this skill, and this ability. And God, I just trust that you're going to add to that, God, as I just respond to you in obedience. So God, I just pray for any and all this morning, God, that you're speaking to. And God, as you're calling them out to be world changers, to be city changers, to be cultural changers, that God, they would simply respond by saying, God, even in my weakness, I want to obey. God, even in my foolishness, I say, here I am, send me. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that as your voice is just being released and as you're speaking over people this morning, God, I pray, Lord, you'll just give us an ability to hear, an ability to respond in a, in a positive way, and that, God, you would begin to use this to build and to increase faith in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.